Welcome to part two of the Gospel According to Martin Doherty. My name is Stuart Taylor, and it was an absolute pleasure to interview Martin. Just a recap, Martin is the coaching director of Football Brisbane and the creator of the Browns Plains Mazda Football Fundamentals Guide. He has been involved in football all his life. In part one, we talked about Martin's experience as a player, coach, and a mentor to coaches. In part two, we get a bit more personal. We speak about Martin's three children and some of the highs and lows that he and his wife, Phyllis, have had to encounter in the life of their family. It is a refreshing reminder of what is really important in life. We start part two talking about Martin, the football parent. I want to talk about you as a football parent because you are extremely experienced as a coach, but you also have three children. Yes, all of them played football. Yes. Often parents are doing it from a place of little knowledge, but here you are with three kids and your knowledge is way above what a normal parent's is. Did that help or did that hurt? I don't think it ever hurt. I first coached Ethan when he was six. I think he played under fives, if I remember rightly, played it, and he was under another coach at the time, which was fine. I was happy to sit and watch it. As a parent, Coaching Ethan's group, uh, under six, under seven, under eight, under nine, under 10, under 11, under 12, and under 13, because that's when I stopped coaching them. It was always funny. I never treated it serious. And I think that was the good thing. I'm bringing fundamentals into it now. We used to do so many little games. Everything had a ball. Everything had a ball. Parents, at the very beginning of the year, I was very fortunate because my wife, Phyllis, was always the manager. And I think I had a bit of credibility in the in the football market in Cairns as well. So I never had the parents come in and say to me, by the way, you, you're you not playing my son often enough or even my daughter because we had girls in the team as well. Yeah, I haven't given them equal game time because a lot of people respected the time and the effort and the energy that I put in to ensuring that the kids were in a safe learning environment. And Ethan's team was one of the teams that actually won a lot of games. So of course it made it a little bit easier. Ryan's was the complete opposite. Ryan's little team was this little bunch of mates, brilliant kids that never won a lot of games. But everybody turned up week in, week out. It was more a social thing. And Ethan's was still social as well. But as a parent, I never felt at any time I needed to, I've got to turn this on and maybe try and win this game. I never felt that pressure at any time whatsoever. Because I think my credibility in the marketplace was not necessarily so good. It was actually, I think this guy knows what he's doing because any session the, the parents would turn up to, it was organized. They all had a ball. They were all shooting. They were all playing games. They're all scoring goals. And there was no, I didn't have a preference to Ethan. I wasn't any harder on him than I was than any other kid. We had a, it was an open book that as you come onto the field, you're a player. That was it. Ryan was the same. Shannon was completely different because my wife ended up coaching Shannon's team. So I stepped away. I didn't want to be coaching Shannon's group because at that time I was actually coaching in the NPL. I was actually coaching the state team, FNQFC Heat. So it was just almost impossible to be doing all these jobs all at the same time. So my wife, I'd like to think I'd mentored her. I'd give her all the training plans. She'd go out and do the little sessions and all based on fundamentals. So as a parent, I never felt that pressure that I think some parents do feel because their son or daughter is in the team. 
I never actually felt that pressure. I used to let a couple of parents there that would take the kids to carnivals on Saturdays or Sundays. I'd let the parents run that. If there was carnivals down in Townsville, I'd let the parents run it. I'd say, off you go, you can run it. I'll be busy coaching Ryan's team or I'll be busy with the state team. So I'd allow them to do that. And it was great for them to go away and, and do some of the things that I did or maybe do things differently from how I ran the training sessions or the game days. But Ethan used to always come back and say, oh, that was good. It was real fun. We won the game or we lost the game, whatever. It was never any great emphasis on winning or losing, but it was always based on, can we have fun? And I always remember that that was the thing. And I think as parents, the parents used to realize that, God, he always has fun. I had good times with the kids as in, rather than we've got to go here and we've got to win this game, we've got to win this game. That was not what we were about. It was, it was more about fun. And I think that the parents related to that. And I'm sure the kids enjoyed that at the same time. You've got experience in talent identification. Yep. Ethan gets selected for Queensland country mm-hmm. and he goes down and participates in the national championships. Yep. Mm-hmm. How was that experience for him and how was it for you? Well, it's a funny one. First, it was great that he actually got selected in it. He didn't go as a 13-year-old. I'm trying to remember the reason why. I don't know the reason why he didn't go as a 13-year-old. He went as a 14-year-old. Great opportunity to go down to Coffs Harbour and play against the best of the best. Again, I didn't go. The word is, is that he was outstanding, got the player's player from his team, top goal scorer from his team, and by all accounts, had an absolutely outstanding tournament. The end result of that is that you hope that he gets a Queensland Academy of Sports scholarship or something from it. There was an opportunity there. Well, Ethan was thinking, if I've done so well, there's a chance I might even get selected here for that. Was it turned out he didn't get selected, which he was devastated about, coming back to resilience. A great opportunity to play. In the Nationals, only opportunity he got to play in the Nationals. And the disappointing thing for him was that he thought he'd done everything right to get that opportunity to go to the next level. And as it turned out, the feedback he got from the TD at the time was that, unfortunately, his first touch and long-range passing is not good enough. So there's the tangible things that I was talking about before that he might have to go back to his coach and Cairns and say, by the way, I've got to work on my first touch and long-range passing. Can you factor that into training sessions in the hope that I get better and get picked next year. You've got experience in talent identification. You've been watching your son Mm -hmm. progress and looking at him objectively. The feedback that he got, do you believe that it was in keeping with where he was as a footballer? Again, I'm coming back to generic. Even though that first touch and long range passing is tangible, you look at it and you go, well, that's probably not the feedback that I'd be given at this moment in time. That wasn't the reason why he didn't get selected. It could have been something completely different. It just sounded at that moment. And when you're giving your son that sort of feedback, by the way, your first touch and your long range passing isn't very good. That's the reason why you didn't get selected. Of course, that was a joke around our house for about a year. Get your first touch right and your long range passing. Like At the end of the day, that was one of these speed bumps that young kids get and lots of kids get them. The fact they got some feedback was, yeah. Was it right? I don't think so. And being a coach myself, I would think, no, that's probably not what I would have said to him at that moment. And that's not, that wouldn't have been his two weak links at that moment. If you understand what I mean, that wouldn't have been something that I would have been thinking that you didn't get selected for this reason. That's that resilience thing they've got to build. How do you manage that as a parent and a coach? And I say that knowing you've already given me an indication that part of it you used humour mm. because you were talking about the first touch and yes. you would laugh about it. Yeah. Was was that an important part of his healing, I guess? Absolutely, because that was our almost a get-out clause is that we laugh through things because that's the type of family we were. We're lighthearted, fun, serious at times, 
to go over that hurdle because that was a big hurdle to go over to be honest with you because getting the feedback from others telling you how good your son played to get told that you go well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever doesn't make any sense however we can't change that how are we going to go over it are you going to stop playing football now because you haven't been selected the answer was no I'm going to go back and I'm going to do more I'm going to do better which is what we want most players to do is that when they get that initial knockback, is that is it a make or break? More often than not, kids will say, no, no, I'll come back and I'll play again. Where they find their level is, whether it's at state level, whether it's at community club level, or do they go overseas as Ethan did? You get overseas and you go, wow, maybe my first touch isn't as bad as what they said, or maybe my long range pattern's not as bad. Maybe it was something else that they just didn't feel comfortable telling you, or maybe they didn't know. That's the part of Ethan's journey is that he didn't make QAS, mm. but then you stopped coaching him at 13, and then he comes through as a junior player in the MPL system where you're the coach, yes. and he starts playing for the far north Queensland Heat. Mm -hmm. What opportunity did that provide for him to put things into context Ethan made his debut I think he was 16 and I wasn't actually in Cairns at the time because we were in Brisbane with Ryan Ryan unfortunately had been diagnosed with cancer our middle son so Ethan had actually made his I think he made his debut against Morton Bay I was obviously in Brisbane for a year but by the time I'd come back and we got Ryan well thanks to the doctors I was taking over the heat for I suppose my first season and Ethan was part of my group. And we did have the conversation like we did all those years ago. Don't forget, when we're at the, the training, um, I'm the coach and you're a player. It's not father-son. To Ethan's utmost credit, because I had actually come in, I think there were six games already gone when Peter Takizi stepped in and I moved back in. He was actually a caretaker for me whilst we were in Brisbane. Ethan came in and he was Mr. Flexible. You could put him anywhere. It was, it was one of the guys that you could, he could fit a hole. If there was a problem there, Ethan, can you go there for five minutes and play at left back? Yep, no problem whatsoever. And the good thing about the players is that he had the respect of a lot of senior players, which I thought was excellent because you had Zen and Caravella, Alex Smith, Jamie Gosling, Chris O'Hare, all ex-pros that never felt that Ethan was in the team because of his father. And I never felt that at any given time either, which I thought was commendable on his part. Nothing to do with me because he'd already established himself as an NPL player by the time I came back from Brisbane. And I think actually he got better when I come on as a coach because I want to show, I want to prove to my dad that I'm as good as what people say that I actually am. And to his credit, he played every position the first year with me other than goalkeeper. So he filled a hole in every part of the field that first year, which I thought was incredible at that level because it was a very good level. Then I think the NPL in its first two or three years was very strong. It's getting strong again. It's gone through a little bit of a lull in the mid-years, but I think it's coming strong again. But in the first couple of years, it was a very, very, very strong competition and he held us on without any problem whatsoever. And then he gets an opportunity to go to Scotland yeah, and, and trial with Partick Thistle. Stephen McGarry, a good family friend of ours from Perth Glory, contacted us and Ethan had just turned 18 and he said to us, mate, we've got an opportunity. We've sent the videos over. They want to see him. He'd actually arranged four clubs for him to go to, Morton, St Mirren, Partick Thistle and I think Motherwell was the other club. He went to Morton the day he arrived. He actually went there just to do basically a run with them, but he started with Thistle on the Monday and they basically said straight away, yep, we want to sign you. So it was on a, an amateur contract. He got a little bit of money when I say amateur. It was just, he got basically training money. That's what he got for them. So he spent a year over there with them. I played in their under 20s. They have a junior competition there. It's almost like what the NPL do at the moment, the NPL women do at the moment. On a Wednesday night, the second tier group play a competitive game 
against another team. That means that all the players actually get a game of football every week. He was in a professional environment, training five, six days a week, sometimes twice a day. The good thing about that was that he was on a bus at six in the morning and get home at six o'clock at night because he didn't have a car. So there's that resilience as well and finding your own way in life and a, a real good challenge. And unfortunately, just as he's about to get his debut, snaps his knee. He spent three months there on rehab and came back to Australia and did his full rehab, played for Brisbane Strikers and ended up now, he's playing with Bentley Greens in Victoria. Unfortunately, snapped his knee again. He's on his second knee and he's probably four weeks away from playing full time again. So there's resilience for you. And how do you, as a parent, help him navigate those disappointments? If you learn nothing else off me, keep your sense of humor, stay strong, stay positive and build trust and belief again by not pushing them, but ensuring that they follow the steps properly to ensure that they get back to full health and fitness because that's the hardest thing. I think especially with a cruciate ligament, having done it myself, all you want to do is just get back out on the field and the physios are always pulling you back but you as a player are always saying no, I'm ready I'm ready and they're going no you're not ready you're not ready so you've got to as a parent you've got to make sure that if the physio says this follow it to the letter and as I've just said there Ethan's on his second knee now he realises that if they say it's going to take four weeks it's going to take four weeks not three weeks it's going to take four weeks and he's just about there he's back on a full training minus contact at the moment so he's probably as I said three or four weeks away from playing again Shannon has also represented Queensland. What a proud moment that is for you as a father. In year one, she captained Queensland and they won it. Again, I didn't go to that tournament deliberately. I didn't want her to think that she's got dad's eyes prying on her. And I know they don't think that, but I made sure that that wasn't the case. Phyllis went down and watched that tournament. So very proud two years in a row, 14 and 15, to be representing Queensland. And Shannon's a late developer. She's always played football, but she's only really excelled over the past maybe three, four years where she's really taken football, I suppose, a lot more serious than what she used to do. But she spent a lot of time in the backyard with her brothers as well. She's just coming to her own at the moment. And if she's, what, 16 now, coming on 17 and does treat it a lot more serious and representing Queensland, captaining is a, an amazing achievement for a Cairns girl. Ryan went through a very hard time and it took your family by surprise when you discovered that he had a lump on his back. Mm -hmm. Can you talk me through that moment when you realised something could be wrong and what happened from there? Now you get your Facebook update, your memories in your Facebook at the moment. They keep coming up at the moment because it's seven years now. That was 2013. We'd just come back from we used to do camper van holidays through Christmas and New Year holidays. So we'd drive all around Australia. And that whole holiday, Ryan was in so much pain, but we had no idea what it was. At that time, Ryan was a little goalkeeper. And him and Ethan would be out in the backyard to all hours of the night, kicking the ball, Ryan diving around, Ethan shooting. We came back from that holiday and he just said that he had this pain in his back and couldn't figure out what it was. So we took him to the doctor who basically said, and this was when FNQFC had just started. That was 2013, the first year of the NPL. And I was obviously training the players and Ryan would be down at training and he'd be diving around, but he'd come home in so much pain. And out of absolutely nowhere, he'd basically come home saying that there's something in here. There was literally a lump that popped through his, his rib cage. So by the time we'd taken him to the doctors, who'd taken him to the hospital, who'd done an x-ray on him, and there was this mass, black mass at the back of his rib. So they flew him down to Brisbane. Ryan and I went down. So I had to step aside from coaching at that time, which was traumatic. Not necessarily the fact that I was stepping away from coaching. It was the fact that we had no idea what was going on. And the fact that the 
the hospital had said that this guy needs to get on a plane and needs to get on a plane now down to Brisbane. So we'd gone down to Brisbane, we'd done the biopsy. We spent three weeks in Brisbane. As a family? No, or? just Ryan and I, locked up in Ronald McDonald's house. You're in Brisbane with Ryan. Ethan, Shannon and Phyllis are at home in probably the most harrowing moment of your family's life. How do you deal with that, wanting to be in two places at once and trying to manage such a terrible experience? The hard part for that, and Phyllis and I have been together for 30 odd years, we'd, we'd agreed that the best thing to do is try and keep life as normal as we possibly can in Cairns. That is, Ethan goes and plays his football, does his training, Shannon does her training, does her schoolwork, she was doing dancing at the same time as well. Try and keep life as normal as possible. Each night we would sit on the phone and discuss what happened in the hospital during the day. We had nothing, we had no answers because we'd be getting every day, we'd be getting blood tests, we'd be getting scanned from top to toe to try and figure out what was going on. And as it turned out, we came back after three weeks with no answer, no answer whatsoever. They said, look, we don't know what it is yet. Go back to Cairns. We still do some tests. And when we do find out what it is, we'll basically let you know. So as it turned out, I was actually in Brisbane. I came down to Brisbane again. I come home, sat on the bench with Chris Collins. And we we're playing against, I think, strikers at, at Redlands. We we're playing in an NPL game. I come home. Uh, on the plane that day, I come home and basically my wife said that we've taken Ryan to emergency hospital, there's something wrong. I basically got up, left my bags there, went straight to the hospital. They kept Ryan in overnight, sent him out on the Monday morning, saying that we'll try and get some answer for you. We've got nothing for you at the moment. As it turned out, he came home, I think it was 24 hours later, he collapsed in his bed. Ethan actually saved Ryan's life. Ryan collapsed in the bath, trying to get some comfort and almost drowned. And Ethan heard him, grabbed him at the bath, put him on his side. I was at work at the time. And that was the most, I'll, I'll never forget that whole experience, driving home. I don't remember driving home to the house, getting there. Brian was in the ambulance. And from there, that was our life. That was April. That was us till May the following year, basically in Brisbane. Because that night, they kept Ryan Obviously in the hospital, we got the Royal Flying Doctors. I was in Brisbane the following day with them, Ryan and I, and we never saw Phyllis, Ethan and Shannon for another three, four months, which was horrible. But they still had to carry on with their lives, and we wanted Ethan to play football. We wanted Shannon to play football and do dancing. We could have moved family, lock, stock and barrel to come down, but we chose not to. Whether it was the right thing or wrong thing, don't know, but we wanted to keep some sort of normality there. The good thing about that whole thing was that Ryan went through effectively 52 weeks of chemo, split into two, 44 weeks of chemo, so it's broken into two groups of 22. Scary times, that's all I can say. But we got through it. When did you realise that you would get through it? We always believed we'd get through it because Ryan kept saying he wasn't sick, he was getting better. And he said that from day one. And Ryan's strength, Ryan's character was something that we fed off. He wrote this book, it was just beautiful. About his journey and his words, unedited. He did it when he went back to school. And it was just so beautiful that it was real. I spoke to Ryan about his memory of that difficult time of his life. Once everything started, it was a weird feeling because it was something that you expect not to happen to you. Like being sick as a 13-year-old kid, you're expecting to be healthy pretty much your whole life. It was a weird sensation, like the whole year and a half that I was getting treatment. My family was always there and sort of just never allowed me to be too upset about what was going on. We kept busy. We had 
so many people supporting us and not allowing us to like believe we were going to get through it. And I never thought that I was a sick kid. It was more like I'm just having a couple months off whilst I recover properly, but never sort of deem myself as I was sick. If we weren't as close as we all are, uh, I think it would have been a lot more difficult to be happy and be where I am now. Ryan's got this incredible positive attitude. Mm. He is 14 years of age. Mm. You're more mature. You have more life experience. At no point did you contemplate the thought of losing your son? No, that was never going to happen. I always remember the flight down and the Royal Flying Doctors and it was life and death quite literally then because when we got to Brisbane, he had to do an emergency surgery. His lungs were full of blood. Effectively, it happened as the tumour had burst. We're going back to when Ethan discovers Ryan Mm -hmm. in the bath, saves his life. You're on your way home from work. Ryan's taken to the ambulance Mm -hmm. And then he goes to Cairns Hospital. Cairns Base Hospital, yeah. And then they do some tests. They realise that the tumour, the veins leading to the tumour, had actually burst. That's effectively what happened. So he had three veins basically throwing blood right through his lungs. And it's fair to say that he's in a fight for his life. Quite, quite literally, yeah, quite literally. What were the doctors saying? We weren't getting anything because at that time, they still didn't really know what was going on, other than the fact that he'd basically collapsed in a heap. By the time they'd done an x-ray, they realised that his lungs were filling with blood. And it's funny because when this all finished and went back to the Cairns Base Hospital because he had to get his bloods done all the time, there was a nurse there, I think she was South African. She heard her name over the loudspeaker and she came into the room and she said, you're the Ryan Dockery that they wanted to drill a hole and Ryan's basically in, in his side so they could drain the blood out in because he had that much blood in his cavity. She was the nurse or the doctor that said, don't drill, don't touch it, because they didn't know what was there at the back. And they said, had they drilled there, they'd have obviously burst the tumour that was in his back. She said, I I remember the name Doherty. And she came and said, I'm the one that said, don't drill. As it turned out, when we got to Brisbane, they did drill, but obviously they drilled into the correct places where they didn't burst anything. And sitting watching these two tubes with all this blood literally pouring out of his body. And that was for three, four days. He had that much blood in his system. Was he conscious? He was unconscious for, I think it was about four days. How did you manage to get through that? The funny thing about that is the doctors always say to me that they were more worried about me than they were about Ryan, because all I would do would just sit there and talk to Ryan. And when Ryan finally woke up, he says, Dad, don't you ever stop talking? Because I just sat and spoke to him for two, three, four days straight. I couldn't sleep. I was just sitting there talking to him, just telling him all the stories when we were younger and reinforcing how much I loved him and how much his brother and his sister and his mother loved him as well. It was a horrible time, but it was also a special time at the same time, you know what I mean? Because we've now got an unbelievable connection. Phyllis is Martin's wife and mother to Ryan. She also reflects on that time. We knew something was wrong. We, we obviously, you know, he rushed away and, and collapsed and a lot, but to actually hear it, I guess, is even more horrific. But we did things a lot together from when the kids were little boys. So when we had a kind of split between the two, Brisbane and Cannes, we never said, well, we should have, we could have, you know, all that sort of thing. And we had a lot of friends support and family support through the whole thing. You know, our friends stepped up way beyond what they, we, we ever dreamed that they would, you know, they were cooking dinners for us, families were mowing lawns, friends of mine were depositing money into the bank and say, this is just something for, if you need a coffee or, you know, just things like that. So we had a lot of support, which we were lucky considering we we're both away from our own families in Scotland and America. We were lucky. 
In the hospital at Brisbane, there is a bell that only people that defeat or go into remission yes. can ring. How did that feel as a parent watching your son ring that bell? Words don't really describe it because I was so emotional. I was actually emotional when my kids left daycare. That's how proud I am as a father. I was so emotional because I know what he'd gone through and he still had that cheeky smile grin on his face when he rang the bell and still wanted to make a little, obviously you've got to write your initials or your name. He wanted to write somebody else's name and the nurses were giving him a hard time, but it was just such a special moment knowing that he'd beaten something that was life-threatening. As Martin mentioned, Ryan wrote a book, and I want to take a bit of time now to read from that book. I'm going to read two paragraphs because I think it paints a beautiful picture of what Ryan and his family went through at that time. The day I fainted in my bathroom in 2013, I never thought it would be the last time I would feel normal. The journey that was ahead would frighten most 13-year-olds, but I didn't know it was going to happen, nor did my family. I remember the feeling of lying in my brother's arms as I was struggling to breathe and my head spinning. I was staring into his eyes and I kept repeating the phrase, I'm sorry. I felt as though I'd let him down. I wanted to be strong for my family, but as the tears started to roll down my cheeks, I slowly felt myself drifting away and wanted to let go. As my eyes started to close, I heard my mother's worried voice get louder and louder on the phone to dad. Ethan was on the phone to the ambulance and they were giving him instructions on what to do. He kept saying, everything's going to be all right, Ryan. In that moment, I didn't think I would live any longer. My body wanted to give up. I didn't want to go through any more pain. At that point, death seemed an easy option. So I let go, hoping that one day, my family would understand the choice I made to ease my pain. How do you think that experience shaped you as a leader of other coaches in the way that you interact and engage with people? I'm way more relaxed now than what I've ever been because I can prioritize. Having been in that situation, what you classify as important and not so important and coming all the way back to fundamentals, where it is all about fun, can we as parents, can we as coaches, can we as team leaders, can we as facilitators, can we have fun doing what we're doing? For the past two years, that's all I've tried to do is instill, yes, it is about winning and losing. We all know that because everybody knows who wins and who loses, but can we have fun doing it? And I think if we can stay on that train, the game will be better. Have you had fun? I absolutely love it. This has been brilliant as well, by the way. You took me off on a completely different tangent. From what I expected, as you probably know, I was telling them this morning that um, I've got a meeting and it'll probably only be two hours. They go, oh, geez, you're only going to talk for two hours today, Martin. Yes, I'm sure that the people listening to this podcast will agree, but it's been fantastic. I do want to bring it back to the fundamentals. Yes. Does it excite you to think that you are opening the doors of opportunity to a lot of players when you think 10 years from now, young 16-year-olds that started doing this fundamentals program at six, they have developed in a more positive way. So by the time they're 16, they will be able to represent their state, their country. It's funny, I don't look at it that way. I went to a club that will remain unnamed on Saturday. I'd spent two and a half, nearly three hours up there. I came away thinking, wow, I must have made some sort of influence here because I spent that two and a half, three years talking to different people that have all been in my fundamental coaching sessions. So I know we were talking about players before, but I'm just taking that a step further. 
they've been in my fundamental coaching sessions, fundamentals, skills, game, and senior certificates, and they're now on the advanced pathway. For people to come up to me that I didn't know from a bar of soap, of course, up until they came to my courses, to come up and thank me for my support and for my help and for mentoring them, because I try and keep in touch with them as many as I can. They might one day become a NPL coach. They might become a Brisbane Roar coach, women's coach. That gives me a great amount of satisfaction. That's not what I'm looking for. But actually, I drove home on Saturday afternoon feeling almost blessed that I've been given this job. It's, it's amazing how I was thinking that this job, Browns Plains Mazda Football Fundamentals Zone Director of Coaching, has given me this opportunity to give back to the game. That's exactly how I feel. I'm giving back to the game that's been really good to me. I've made a lot of money out of it, but I've made a lot of friends out of it and I've learned so much. Here's my opportunity to give back with no prejudice. I can give it back because I can go to clubs. I've got, I don't have an affiliation or an allegiance to any club. I can give back with open arms, quite literally. I want to tell you what I've discovered from talking to you and you can tell me whether it's right or wrong. Yep. So the first thing that I've discovered in relation to grassroots or the football fundamentals, it needs to be simple. Yes. I think coaches, parents, we've got a habit of complicating things and we've got a habit of treating younger kids like many adults. And again, fundamentals is effectively the beginning, the discovery phase. And it is actually the discovery phase as well for the parent not necessarily the player. A lot of the coaches, they'll jump onto YouTube and they'll watch Barcelona under sevens. They'll watch a little training session from them or Real Madrid or Belgium under sevens or whatever it is. They'll look at these things and they'll try and bring that to their training program or to the club. And they can't understand why these kids can't do what these under seven kids can do over in Spain and Belgium and in Britain and things like that. They can't understand that. That's because their environment's completely different. Their DNA is completely different. This was the idea of the Fundamentals Guidebook, was that it's simple, easy to run, easy to facilitate, not only for the player, more importantly, for the coach. The other part of the lesson I've learned is as a coach, you've got to provide an opportunity for discovery and stay out of the way of that discovery. Allow the opportunity for that discovery to occur. Allow it to happen. Set the framework, create the environment and allow it to happen. It's the hardest thing to do, by the way, because again, as parents, as coaches, we feel the need to, I've got to let the parents know at the side that I know what I'm talking about. You've almost got that sense of, I need to justify why I'm actually here. Whereas less words, more effect. If you've set your practice up, if you created the environment, it will come to life and discovery and learning will happen at the same time. On top of that is that you need to be able to give yourself and also your players the freedom to fail. That's the key. That's where the learning comes. And rather than telling them what they did wrong, ask them why they did something. And it might surprise you on the answer that they'll give you. We've got this habit of telling and not listening. The question could be, why did you do it that way? And the kid will give you because they're more honest than anybody. They'll give you the reason why they did something. I did it because of this. What might you do differently next time? I might just do the same thing next time. Or I might try this. Okay, so there's maybe in your, if you want to set little tasks or challenges for kids, you can maybe do that individually and on the run, maybe before training, maybe during the drinks breaks, you can start asking little questions like that rather than going in and stopping it and telling them what they're doing wrong, treating them like mini adults. We've got to allow them the opportunity to discover. You create the environment, 
set the framework, discovering and learning will happen. Just like your program, we've gone through the beginning, middle and end. Is there any other final reflection that you would like to give? I really want to recognise the commitment that Browns Plains Master have invested in their football fundamentals because, as you rightly mentioned, that not enough is given to the grassroots and for Browns Plains Master to come on board and give me the truck to actually go out and promote football fundamentals is massive and we need more of these things happening in the grassroots space because as we know the game's top heavy but a greater population is at the bottom we need to spend more time in the grassroots and doing more of what we're doing at the moment with football fundamentals. Martin thank you for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Gospel According to Martin Doherty. In life, you will come across people who will walk into a room and make it feel better, just simply by their presence. Martin is one of these people. I would like to thank him for sharing his journey and look forward to seeing where it leads him in the future. You can listen to the Future Champions podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher or visit intentsport.com.